Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Psalm 14. And if you look at verse number one again, the psalm begins with this statement, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. If you turn over just real quickly to Psalm 53, right there in the book of Psalms, Psalm 53, you'll notice that Psalm 53 also begins with the statement, Psalm 53 and verse 1, the fool, Psalm 53, 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Today we are beginning a series entitled Creation versus Evolution, and to be honest with you, the series is more than just about creation versus evolution. I mean, it's about the age of the earth, it's about the Big Bang Theory, it's about all of those things, but I want you to understand that the series uh, is specifically about the, the idea of evolution and, and the Big Bang and, and all of those things. All of those theories are meant to promote one thing, and that is atheism, a non-belief in God. And the Bible says that the fool has in his heart. There is no God. And I, I, I want to begin this morning as we start this series. Like I said, we're going to spend several weeks uh, dealing with the subject and talking about these ideas. But I want to begin this morning with kind of just an introductory sermon into the series. And I want to talk to you about the purpose of the series. And I want to give you a preview about the series and also just kind of end with a prelude uh, to the series. And if you, you, can, you can lose your place there in the book of Psalms, go into the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 11. If you start at the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, and head backwards, you'll go past Revelation, past Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, and into the book of Hebrews. So you start Revelation, you want to head back past Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 11. And let me just start by explaining the purpose of this series. Why preach a series on this idea of creation versus the Big Bang, creation versus evolution, creation versus atheism? What, what is the point? What is it that we are trying to accomplish? And I want to just right off the bat make sure you understand. What we're not trying to do is we are not trying to prove God. We're not, I'm, we're not going to spend the next six weeks trying to scientifically prove that there is a God because believing in God requires faith. We are to come to God in faith. If you're there in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 is known as the great faith chapter. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Bible says this, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, the Him there is referring to God. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You cannot please God without faith. Why? For he that cometh to God, notice, must believe that He is. You, you have to believe in order to come to God. You must believe that He is God in order to come to God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So, we're not attempting to scientifically prove that there is a God, or we're going to give you all these facts, and it'll show that there is a God. But what we do want to do uh, throughout this series is to show you, well, you know, before I get ahead of myself, look at verse 1 there, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And here's what you need to understand. If God could be proved, then it would not require faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible says that faith is the substance of of things hoped for. We have our hope. The idea there of hope for is not like I hope it's true, but that we have a blessed hope. We have a 
for we have a belief that that God will resurrect us at the day of the rapture. We have a belief that we will spend eternity with God who loved us and and we hope for those things. We have a hope in those things. The Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence you say, well, what's the evidence for God? The evidence is faith. There, there is no physical material evidence. The faith is the evidence of things not seen. And you need to understand that we worship an eternal God who is invisible. He's not seen. And therefore, we can't prove to you that there is a God. Believing in God and pleasing God and coming to God requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And with that said, we can't prove, I don't believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that creation was by God or that there is a creator. Because if you're there in Hebrews 11, look at verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good report, referring to faith. But notice the context. Look at verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. And here's what he's saying. It requires faith to understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We can, I, we're not going to prove to you. We're not going to scientifically show you. Look, because here's the, here's the thing with going down that road. And we're going to go down that road. We'll have fun with looking at science and all of that. But here's what you need to understand. A lot of times the evidence that you look at, is, is you just determine based on what your worldview is. If you believe in God, then you look at certain evidence and you say, God created that. And if you don't believe in God, then you look at the same evidence and you'll say, it happened over millions of years. So here's what I want you to understand. The purpose of this series is not, the purpose of this series is not to attempt to prove that there is a God or that there is a creator uh, using science or trying to give you evidence. You say, well, what is the purpose of this series? What is it that you're trying to prove? The purpose of this series is to prove that evolution requires faith also. Because the truth of the matter is, the point of evolution cannot be proved either. It's a theory. It's not a fact. And it requires just as much faith to believe in evolution as it does to believe in God. So look, we are not just off the offset. We're being completely honest and saying, look, if you're going to come to God, you must come to him in faith. And by the way, if you're going to be saved, you must come in faith, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not lying to you about that. But here's what I want you to understand. The science that is used today to try to prove evolution is lying. They take Theories that are not based on fact, they're not based on evidence, they cannot be observed, they cannot be uh, tested, they cannot be uh, seen, and yet they will present them as signs when it's not true. So you say, what are you trying to accomplish? I'm trying to uh, help you understand what the Bible teaches about these things, but also I want, you to, I want to try to prove to you through the next several weeks that evolution is not science. Evolution is, is a religion. It requires faith like any other religion. And it's not part of science, but it is hid under the idea of science. And we're going to spend uh, time looking at that over the next several weeks. So what is the purpose of the series? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Not necessarily to prove God, because you must, God, you must come to God by faith. And here's what I do believe. The Bible says that, that when you hear the Word of God, it will, it will produce faith in you. And I believe as you uh, are under the Word of God, you will grow faith. But we're not trying to prove God. And what we're trying to show you, though, is that evolution is not science either. It's two religions. It's two faiths. And you've got to decide which one it is that you believe in. Now, that's the purpose of the series. Let me just real quickly talk about the preview or give you a preview to, uh, preview to this series. What is ahead? What is it that we're going to look at? Well, today we're going to talk about the idea of foolish, the foolishness of atheism. Because we read there, the fool hath said in his heart, 
there is no God. And we're going to end uh, this morning by talking, just giving you some thoughts about atheism as we kind of just give you a preface or a prelude uh, to the series. But next week, starting next week, April 30th, we're going to, I'm going to preach a sermon called Science Falsely So-Called. And we're going to go through and show how evolution is not established in science and how the science that they are supposedly using to prove evolution is a faulty science. If you have a child that is in public school, you have a a, a son or a daughter that's in college, you need them to be here next week because this is the, the, the supposed evidence that they're being told in school that proves evolution. And we're going to show how it's science, like the Bible says, falsely so-called. It's not a true science. And we'll show how evolution is not established through science at all. It requires faith like anything else. The week after that, on May 7th, I'm going to preach a sermon called The Heavens Declare. And we're going to go through and show how nature does reveal God. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I don't believe you can prove God through nature. But God said in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says that we can reason together with God. That we can come together and logically. And we should be able to look at nature. And in fact, the Bible tells us that we can do this. Look at nature and show how nature shows that there is a creator. There is someone who started this. There is someone who designed it. So on the third week, on May 7th, we're going to talk about a sermon entitled The Heavens Declare, How Nature Reveals God. Now on May 14th, we'll take a break from this series because it's Mother's Day. So we'll talk to, we'll have a Mother's Day sermon and we'll have the children uh, sing for Mother's Day and we'll honor mothers. On May 21st, uh, we'll get back. That'll be the fourth week in this series. We're going to get back into the series after taking a short break for Mother's Day. And we're going to answer this question. Is the earth millions of years old? Is the earth millions of years old? Because today our children are being taught that the earth is millions of years old. And here's the question. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what, what nature reveals? So we'll spend time talking, uh, answering the question, is the earth millions of years old? On May 28th, we'll be in week five of this series. We're going to uh, answer this question. Did men walk with dinosaurs? Did men walk with dinosaurs? You say, well, that's kind of silly. But today we're being taught that these dinosaurs are proof of an earth that's millions of years old and that man never saw dinosaurs. Well, the Bible says something different. The Bible actually talks about dinosaurs and men walking with dinosaurs. And we'll spend time looking at the biblical references and looking at some evidence from our world again and uh, also. And then we'll end the series. On week six, we'll end the series with a sermon called The Evils of Evolution. And exactly what it is that evolution produces and the result that comes upon a society who turns away from God. So I want to just kind of give you an idea and help you uh, get a preview to this series. The fool has said in his heart, the foolishness of, uh, of, of atheism. We'll talk about next week how evolution is not established in science. The week after that, how nature reveals God. Is the earth millions of years old? Did men walk with dinosaurs? And then we'll finish up talking about the evils of evolution. What happens or what comes as a result of a belief system that is not founded in God or a creator. So we talked about the purpose of the series. What are we trying to accomplish? We're not trying to prove that there is a God because that requires faith. And we're not trying to necessarily prove that God created the universe because that also requires faith according to Hebrews 11. But what we are trying to prove and what we will prove is that evolution is also a religion that must be taken by faith. Atheism is a belief system that you have to take by faith. And we'll look at that very closely over the next 
uh, several weeks. Now, for the rest of our time together, and it's not going to be a very long sermon this morning, but I want to give you a prelude to this series. And what I mean by that is just kind of a preface. We're going to get into the science part of it next week. But I want to talk about the end game. What is the end game of the Big Bang Theory? What is the end game about the evolution theory? What is, what, what, what is the point? Why did Satan bring these things up to try to, uh, to, 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 to fool many into believe, to believing this? And the point is this. It's atheism. It's to not believe in God. The point of the public school system that teaches a and supposedly, you know, teaches that it's science and that it's based in fact when it's not based in fact at all, is to try, is to attempt to destroy young people's faith in God. The point is to get to the point, to the place where, and we are at that place in our society, where hundreds of thousands of young people would have their faith shaken and, and would say, I don't even know that, that there is a God, or I don't know that I believe in God. And that's why we started there in this idea that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And you say, well, why would God say that, that the fool has said in his heart there is no God? And here's why. Because believing that there is no God is a very foolish thing to believe. And there are certain things that you have to accept when you accept atheism. So we talked about, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. And we talked about what's coming ahead in the series. But let me say this, and let me just kind of finish with this idea. And, and, and I shouldn't say finish because that sounds like we're almost done and we're not, all right? But, um, you know, what atheism forces you to accept? When you believe that there is no God, when you believe that, there, that it's just us, when you believe that we evolved that molecules form together, and it's just chemistry, and we're just biology. When you accept that, you've got to understand that there are certain things that you accept with that, and it, you know, with this idea of atheism. You say, what are those? Let me give you five, just as quickly as we can this morning. We won't be very long. Go into the book of Romans, Romans chapter number seven in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number seven. Romans chapter number 7 and look at verse 7. Now when you get to Romans, do me a favor and put a bookmark or a ribbon or a bulletin or something there in Romans because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Romans chapter number 7. And I'd like you to look at verse number 7. And again, this morning we're not going to deal with evolution and with the science and all of those things. We just, I just want to talk about the, this, this idea, this mindset. When you accept atheism, what it is, because I think sometimes it's easy for people to say, well, if I accept atheism, that's no skin off my back. I just don't believe that there's a God. And in fact, it makes things easier for me because I'm not accountable to anybody now. There's nobody who's going to hold me responsible. But listen to me. When you accept atheism, there are certain things you accept with that atheism. There are certain things when you accept evolution. There are certain things that you accept with that evolution. I want to talk to you just briefly on those uh, this morning. Number one, for those of you who are taking notes, if you're able to take notes, I'd like to write these statements down. If there is no God, if there is no God, there are no moral absolutes. If there is no God, there are no moral absolutes. Here's a question I have for you. If there is no God, if all we are is biology, if all we are is molecules, if all we are is chemicals that combine together and chemical reactions, if that's all that we are, then what, who is to say that murder is wrong? Who is to say that stealing is wrong? Who is to say that lying is wrong? 
See, the only reason that we believe those things or that we have those things is because there is the moral absolutes of the Word of God. And it is through the Word of God and the laws of God that we get those morals. Romans chapter 7, look at verse number 7. Notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter number 7 and verse number 7, the Bible says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Now notice what Paul says. He says, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. He said, I had not known sin. I had not known what's wrong. I had not known what's immoral. I had not known what's unethical. He said, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had known, I had not known lust. He gives us an example. He said, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And here's what I understand. The only reason, the only reason that we believe that coveting is wrong is because God's word says it. It's because the Word of God tells us it's wrong. Because the Word of God gave us a law. And when you remove God, you remove His law. And when you remove God, you remove moral absolute. So here's what you need to understand. Before you walk away from God... Before you're willing to say, there is no God, I don't need to look at the science, it's what the people in school said, it's what the college educated said, and and by the way, don't get scared off. You say, well, most scientists believe in evolution, so therefore it must be right. Look, there was a day when most scientists believed that the earth was flat. Doesn't make it so. There was a day when most scientists believed that the way to get, you know, disease out of somebody's body is to bleed them to death. Doesn't make it so. So just because most scientists believe it, you know, most scientists are human and sinners. And if they are being taught with a preconceived agenda, then you can't trust what they're saying. And here's the thing, there's, there's many scientists that are coming away, that are leaving, not necessarily heading towards Christianity, but they're just forsaking the theory of evolution because it's so not funded, founded in, in science and they can uh, acknowledge that. You're there in Romans 7, go to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number three. But here's what I want to say. Before you decide to say, well, there is no God and I'm going to walk away from God. Realize that what that means is that you're also that you are also walking away from moral absolutes. We would all or at least we should all look down at a monster like Adolf Hitler. Look down at monsters like Joseph Stalin. We would all or we should all look at individuals like the teenagers that had the Columbine shooting and and say that's wrong that's wicked that's evil it's wrong to take human life it's wrong to to have the carnage that they did but here's the thing if there is no God then you have no authority to look down on anybody for anything that they ever do Because when you remove God, you remove moral authority. You remove moral absolutes. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. The Bible says this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Don't miss this. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. How do we have knowledge of sin? By the law. It is the law of God. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 15. Romans chapter 4 and verse 15. The Bible says this. Because the law worketh wrath for. Notice what it says. Where no law is. There is no transgression. See the Bible tells us that sin is a transgression of the law. And when you remove the law. You remove transgression. Because the only, the only reason that adultery The only reason that adultery is wrong, it's immoral, it's not right, 
is because God said so. But see, even today, even today, we are all, the, the effects of evolution are already, of the teaching of evolution are already taking effect on our society. When you have a great majority of people in the United States of America today who would not even blink at the idea of adultery, they don't think it's wrong at all. They don't think fornication is wrong at all. They don't think, I mean, we've, we've got 4,000 children being murdered every day in an abortion clinic, and many Americans don't think there's anything wrong with it. Why? Because in their minds, the idea of moral absolutes, the fact that there is a God who created the universe, and therefore he gets to make the rules, is God. So before, before you walk away from God, realize that when you walk away from God, you're also walking away from the idea of moral absolutes. And if your child is murdered, or raped, or have some tragedy, Lord willing, that never happens to anybody here, you cannot sit in judgment, because listen, the fact that there is a moral absolute God that gives us a law, allows him to sit in judgment. See, people will often say, they'll say, well, I can't believe in God because of, you know, what about all the suffering in the world? And what about all the pain in the world? But listen to me, it is God who will one day judge this world. And see, we all want justice, but we don't want judgment. But listen to me, you cannot have justice without judgment. And if you want justice, I want to live in a, in a just world, you, you'll get it one day. It's called the great white throne judgment. And this world will be judged. It's called the coming day of the wrath of God, where this world will be judged. But you say, why can God do that? Because God established moral law. God established all law. And when you walk away from God, just realize, just realize. And again, I'm not giving you any signs this morning. I'm not, we're going to talk about that next week. I'm just kind of giving you a primer, just a preface, a prelude to this idea. When you walk away from God, you walk away from moral absolutes. Because where no law is, there is no transgression. Let me give you a second one. You're there in Romans chapter 4. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 4. You're there in Romans 4. Go to Romans chapter 2. Just flip a few pages. I said, number one, if there is no God, there is no moral absolutes. But let me say this. If there is no God, if there is no God, there is no conscience. Because here's the truth. You say, well, if, there, if, if God never said, If God never said, thou shalt not kill, wouldn't we all just kind of agree that murder is wrong? And I would say most of us would, unless you're a reprobate. You know, you you say, well, if God God never said, thou shalt not bear false witness, wouldn't we all agree that lying is wrong? And I would think that most of us would. Because, see, you were created, you were created with a conscience. And that conscience makes you guilty before God and before men. Are you there in Romans chapter 2? Look at verse number 14. Romans chapter 2 and verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Romans 2, 14. For when the Gentiles, now this is the Apostle Paul, talking to people, we'll get into this later in the series in Romans 1. These are heathen who have rejected God, rejected the idea of God. And he says, for when the Gentiles which have not the law, talking about the law of Moses, they didn't have the Ten Commandments, they didn't have the book of Leviticus, they didn't have Numbers, they didn't have Deuteronomy, they did not have the word of God. He says, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, notice these words, do by nature, meaning it just comes naturally, do by nature the things contained in the law. That means there's someone who'd never heard, thou shalt not kill, but by nature, their conscience agrees to the fact that it's wrong to kill, that it's wrong to rape, that it's wrong to to steal. 
Notice what he says. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Notice verse 15. Which show the works, notice what the Bible says, of the law written in their hearts. See, even, even before God, you say, before you knew that God had given a law in a stone, written it on a stone, before you knew that, hey, you were born, you were created, the Bible says, with a law written in your heart. You say, what do you call that? Notice verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience. Also bearing witness. Let me ask you something. If we live in a world that's all biology, if we live in a world that's all chemicals, it's all molecules, where does your conscience come from? I mean, is the conscience not immaterial? Could you have a surgery to remove your conscience? If you don't have a conscience, could we give you one? Now, we might be able to remove a body part. But we can't remove a conscience. Now, God can because the conscience is immaterial. It's not made out of matter. It's something that God gave you. The Bible tells us that God has seared certain people, has seared their conscience. But here's what I need you to understand. The fact, the fact that when you steal or lie or commit adultery or whatever, the fact that there is a guilt, that there's ever been a guilt for anything you've ever done, if you've ever experienced guilt in your life, is a proof to the fact that you are more than just biology. That you are more than just molecules. Because how would evolution create a conscience? They try to tell us that the evolution creates an eye, very complex. They try to tell us that evolution has created our cell structure and created our skin and created our muscles, but how would it create a conscience? Or would you, would you disagree with the fact that we have a conscience? Has there, ever not been a, has there ever been a time where you didn't feel guilty? Would anybody raise their hands and say, I've never felt guilty about anything I've ever done? And if that's the case, then you're just a reprobate. Okay? That's, a whole, that's a sermon for another day. But here's what you need to understand. When you go to school, Or you send your children to school, and they open up a book, and they say, millions and millions of years ago, they tell them, you came from a rock, and you came from a monkey, and we're just biology, and there is no God. When a society chooses to walk away from God, they're not just walking away from God, they're walking away from moral absolutes. Because when we walk away from God, we walk away from the Word of God. But more than that, when someone chooses to walk away from God, not only do they walk away from God, but they walk away from conscience. Because if there is no God, there is no conscience. And the truth is that deep down in your heart, you know, you know that what Hitler did was wrong. You know, you know that what those kids did in Columbine was wrong. And the fact that you know that ought to show you that there is a God who has not only given us this law of more absolute, but has also written that law in our hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. If evolution is true, how did, it develop, how did we develop a conscience? The word con, by the way, means with. If you speak Spanish, you know the word in Spanish with is con. The word science means knowledge. We'll talk about that next week. The word conscience means with knowledge, meaning this. You were born with the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And there's no way that evolution developed that. So we don't need our appendix, evolution. Okay, but what about your conscience? What about the law written in your heart? Number three, 
Go, go to, go, keep, keep your place there in Romans. We're going to come back to it. Go, go to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. First book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find. Genesis chapter number 2. Like I said, this is just a prelude. It's just a preface. It's just a primer to the series. But as we get started, I want you to understand, you know, what's at stake? You say, Pastor, why, why, you know, people don't want to believe in God. They don't, you know, a society wants to be filled with people who don't believe in God. What's, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. I don't want to live in a society without moral absolutes. And I don't want to live in a society where people will say the conscience is just something that was instilled in us by religion and it's not needed. In fact, your conscience is the opposite of natural selection. Your conscience is the opposite of survival of the fittest. Because often your conscience is what keeps you from doing unethical things to get ahead. So the problem, the problem with teaching evolution is that you begin to teach people. That that conscience that you have, you know, you just have that because you went to Sunday school and you went to church as a child and that was instilled in you. But that's not real. It's made up with the made up God that gave it to you. So if there is no God, there is no moral absolutes. If there is no God, there is no conscience. Number three, if there is no God, if there is no God, there is no soul. Are there in Genesis chapter 2? Look at verse number 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, that's talking about your body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. See, in a world that is only biology, In a world that's only chemistry, physics, there is no room for an immaterial, non-material soul. Do you understand what I'm saying? If there is no God, there is no soul. If there is no God, there is no mind. I'm not talking about your brain, I'm talking about who you are. See, human beings will often talk about our bodies. You know, you'll go to the doctor, and, the, and if you have a, a sickness, the doctor will say, your, your body is doing X, Y, and Z, or your body is reacting to these things. If you get injured, you'll, you'll say, you know, my, my, my body has this disease. We'll talk about our bodies as being separate from ourselves. But here's the truth. If evolution is true, you do not have a body. You are a body. If, if God is true, I have a soul. I am a soul that is housed within a body. One day that body will die, but the soul will go on. One day that body, I'll be given a new body, an incorruptible body, one that will not corrupt, one that will not decay, one that will not get sick. Hopefully, maybe one that's a little taller, I don't know. But we're going to be given a, a new body, right? A new body. And look, if, if, if God is true, I have a body. If evolution is true, I am a body. And there is no soul. There is no you. Now you say, well, what's the problem with not having a soul? Here's the problem with not having a soul. If you don't have a soul, you don't love. You don't feel. People say, well, feelings were just given as a a way to protect ourselves. Now listen to me. I understand why feelings like I put my hand on a hot stove was given to me to protect myself because that hurts. But then we're not talking about physical feelings. We're talking about emotional feelings like love, hate. Where does that come from? And, and here's the thing, if evolution is true, if evolution is true, you don't love your children, or your wife, 
or anyone else. And all you're feeling is, you know, chemical reactions in your brain that are tricking you into thinking you love someone or tricking you into thinking that you love your children, but really none of us love any of us because all we are is molecules, because all we are is biology, because all we are is DNA, and there is no soul. See, if there is no God, there is no soul, because our soul was given to us by God. And evolution, again, could we have a surgery and remove your soul? Where, you know, when you sing, you know, the song about that this bone's connected to that bone and blah, blah. Where, where on that bone structure is your soul attached to? It's spiritual. It's immaterial. So if there is no God, there is no soul. If there is no God, there is no you. There is no mind. We are aware of self, but like we already said, there is no conscience. There is no such thing as love. There's no such thing as hate. There's no such thing as anything. It's just chemical reactions. Because if you believe, if you believe that all we are is biology, chemistry, and physics, there is no room there for the immaterial, for the spiritual. Number four, go, go, go to Genesis chapter number one. Genesis chapter number one. I said number one, if there is no God, there are no moral absolutes. I said, number two, if there is no God, there is no conscience. I said, number three, if there is no God, there is no soul. Number four, if there is no God, there is no value to life. If there is no God, there is no value to life. Genesis 1 and verse 26 says this, says this and God said, Genesis 1, 26, and God said, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And realize that God made a difference between a man and an animal. Men are to have dominion over animals. But man was created in the image of God. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Go to Genesis chapter number 9. Genesis chapter number 9. While you, when you, while you turn there, let me read for you a quote from a very famous evolutionist by the name of Richard Dawkins. In his book, The God Delusion, he wrote this. On one planet, referring to planet Earth, and he says this, and possibly only one planet. And the reason he says possibly only one planet is because these guys literally believe in aliens. They think that there are other universes other out there, you know, which I don't know. The word uni means one, so I don't know how you have more than one universe. But they believe you've got other universes out there where life may have evolved and they're more advanced. It's always interesting how they're more advanced than us, right? But, you know, these guys literally believe in aliens. So he says, on one planet, and possibly only one planet, in the entire universe... Molecules, listen very carefully to what he says. And look at the, the mindset that believes. Richard Dawkins is one of the most famous atheists, proponents of atheism, defenders of atheism today. He says, molecules that would normally make nothing more than complicate, uh, complicated, uh, I'm sorry, would, would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock. So he says, molecules 
that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock gathered themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing, and eating other such animated chunks of complexity. Notice how he speaks about life. Capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. And here's what I'm saying. You know, people will mock at us and say, but we'll tell these evolutionists, you believe we came from a rock. And they'll say, we don't believe we came from a rock. Is that not what he just said? He said, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock. He said, these same molecules, you know, over millions and millions of years, which is not true, and we'll get to that later on in a different week. But over millions of years, these molecules just happen to form together to create life. We won the lottery, if it, you know, so, you know, so be it, uh, so, so to speak. You know, we won the lottery where the molecules just happened to just kind of form themselves and they created these other complex molecules that are capable of running and jumping and swimming and even falling in love and all of that. But listen to me, as far as he's concerned, we are just chunks of complex matter and have no more value than a rock. Because that's all we are. The same molecules that form a rock are the same molecules that form us. It just so happened to be that our molecules ended up forming in such a way that we were able to think and breathe and run and walk. Now listen to me. The difference between that and creation, is it true? Does not the Bible say, did we not just read that Adam was formed from the dust of the earth? I I don't disagree with the fact that this body is just made of the same materials and molecules that the earth is made out of. The difference is that God breathed into Adam. That God gave him a soul. And what makes you different, what makes you different than an ape or a rock is that you have a soul and that you were created in the image of God. Now, when the Bible says that you're created in the image of God, does that mean that we look like God? I don't necessarily think that. I believe what the Bible is saying there is that we were made in the image of God in the same way that there's a trinity in God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that that we are made in, in, in three. There's a physical body. There's a soul and there's a spirit that's quickened when we are saved. Go, are you there in Genesis chapter 9? Look at verse 5. See, the, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that there is value to human life. Genesis chapter 9, verse 5. And surely, this is what Noah's getting off the ark, and God is about to establish what we know as the death penalty, and specifically the death penalty on murder. Now I want you to notice what God says. And surely. Your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Notice verse 6. Whoso, here's the death penalty, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's the death penalty. God says if you shed and kill a man, then God gave the authority to man and, and, and later on in the Bible, it becomes very clear that this is something that government is supposed to do, which I don't know why we have a government in the state of California that refuses to put murderers to death when that's what God says to do. But he says, he says, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now why? Why, God? Why would you want us 
to put murderers, those who take life, you want us to put murderers to death. Here's why. For. Is that word for? That means because. Here's the reason. Here's why. For. In the image of God made he man. God says, you, God says, if you throw a rock, I don't really care. In fact, God says, if you kill an animal, I don't really care. Does God care for oxen? That's what Paul asked. But he says, if you take the life of a human being, he said, you are taking the life of a creature that is made in the image of God. And they are more valuable than a rock. They are more valuable than an animal. They are different, and therefore there is value to life. And God says, if you take their life, then there are consequences for that, which means your life shall be taken uh, as a punishment uh, in their place. So here's what I want you to understand. According to the Bible, there is value to life. But if you believe in evolution, then not only... Can you not judge Adolf Hitler, who, by the way, was highly influenced by the teaching of evolution? Not only can you not look down on the Columbine shooters, and you say, why do you keep bringing them up? Because they were highly influenced by the teaching of evolution. The same school that taught them that they're an animal, the same school that taught them that there are no moral absolutes, the same school that taught them that your conscience is a weakness that was put in you through, you know, a brainwashing of church, the same school that taught them that you are a rock, you are no better than a rock, you are no better than an animal, there is no value to life, is the same church, is the same school, unfortunately, that ended up suffering from the results of the things they taught those kids. You're saying, look, I'm not saying every child or every person that believes in evolution is going to go off and, and kill somebody, but I'm telling you, this is where this thinking leads to. Because the idea that there is no God... When you walk away from God, just realize when you walk away from God, you are also walking away from that idea that there is value to life. And you are believing that we are nothing more than just molecules, the same molecules that make up a rock. And in fact, they teach that life came from rocks. That's what they teach. It's the same as you and I. So if there is no God, there is no value to life. Let me give you one more and we'll be done. Did you keep your place in Romans? Go back to Romans, but we're not going to be in Romans. I just want you to get to Romans, and I want you to go from Romans to the book of Colossians. you got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So you, if you start at Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I said, number one, if there is no God, there are no moral absolutes. I said, number two, if there is no God, there is no conscience. I said, number three, if there is no God, there is no soul. Number four, if there is no God, there is no value to life. But lastly, I'd like to say this, number five. If there is no God, there is no purpose to life. If there is no God, there is no purpose to life. Again, if all we are is molecules and biology, if all we are is chemicals and chemical reactions, then there is no point. There is no purpose to life. We just happen to descend from the molecules that happen to form themselves in a way that could walk and talk and eat and mate, and in some cases become self-aware. Conscience is not true. A soul is made up. And we are nothing more than just animals. There's no purpose to life. A very famous atheist writer who's now dead, and I'm sure is, and I, and I know is correct on evolution now, 
by the name of Christopher Hitchens wrote in his memoirs. He said, it could be that all, that all existence, he wrote, it could be that all existence is a pointless joke, but it is not in fact possible to live one's everyday life as if this were so. Now that's interesting that he would say that. Because he says, it could be that all existence is a pointless joke. And that's what he believes. But then he says this. He says, but it is not in fact possible to live one's everyday life as it were so. He says, he, and, he, and he's kind of poking fun at the idea. He says, even though there is no point to life, even though there is no purpose to life, he says, we as humans have just you know, are, are just on this idea that we can't live life as it's so. So he says, even though there is no point to life, we end up living life like there is a purpose, like there is a point, which is why we get married, which is why we have children, which is why we try to defend the innocent and try to defend those that cannot defend themselves, which is why you might build a business or try to, you know, whatever it is that you do. He says, he says it's, it's funny because there's no point to life, yet we refuse to let go of the idea that there is point to life. And I would just say to Christopher Hitchens, the reason you believe that the reason you cannot live like you are just a body is because you're not just a body. It's because you have a soul. It's because whether you want to admit it or not, there is a soul and there is a conscience inside of you that God gave you. Which tells you, which tells you that there is not only value to life, but there is purpose to life. It could be that all existence is a pointless joke. See, when you walk away from God, you're not just walking away from God. When you walk towards evolution, you're not just walking towards a scientific theory. You are walking towards the idea that says that not only is there no value to life, but there's no point or purpose to life. Say, well, why are you telling us this? And here's why I'm telling you that. Because evolution is not scientific. We'll prove that in the next several weeks. It is a religion that must be accepted by faith. So what do you want to choose? Do you want to choose to believe that there is not only value to your life, but there is value to the life of your wife and your children? That there is a purpose to relationships? That we were created in the image of God? Or do you want to, believe in a, in a, do you want to live in a world where you believe we're not anything better than rocks? There's no such thing as conscience or moral absolutes. And there's no purpose or point to life. Colossians, are you there? Chapter 1. Here's the thing. If there is a God, if there is a God who created the universe, and here's the thing, I can't prove to you that there is a God. I wouldn't even try. Because they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But if there is a God, then you have to acknowledge the fact that he not only has a plan, but he has a purpose for your life. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, notice what the Bible says. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible, that's your body, and invisible, that's your soul. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, don't miss this, don't miss the last three words of that verse, and for him. So what is the purpose of life? Why were we created? We are created for God. We are created for Him. Go to Revelation chapter 4. Last verse we'll look at this morning. Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 11. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. 
All things were created by him and for him. Revelation chapter 4, last book of the Bible. I want you to look at it, so let's get there quickly. Revelation chapter 4, last book of the Bible, verse number 11. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Notice what he says. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know what the problem is with most Christians? Though they say they don't believe in evolution, though they say that they believe in a God, though they reject the science of evolution, many Christians today... They still live their lives as if evolution was true. They still live their lives. They say, well, I believe in God. I'm not an atheist. But yet you live your life as though there is no God. And life has become about the purpose and plan that I've determined for it. But listen to me. You, that's not an option. You, you've got two options. Either there is no God and there is no conscience and there is no moral absolute. And, and you're not, you're not a, a, a being. You're not a soul. You're just a body. You're just molecules. There's no point or purpose or plan or value for your life. Either you believe that or, or you believe that you were created by a God with a plan and a purpose. And if that's so, then you're accountable to that God. There's no room. There's no room for there is a God, but I'm Him. There's no room for there is a God, but I determine purpose, and I determine pleasure, and I determine plan. There either is a God who has a plan or a purpose for your life, and you've got to determine what that plan and purpose is and say, I was created for His pleasure. Or you would say, I am nothing that came from nothing, Everything came from nothing. Nothing exploded. And here we are. So which one do you believe? What religion do you want to be a part of? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be able to study these things in Scripture. And Lord, I understand that the sermon this morning was not scientific. You could put it more under theory. Obviously founded in the Word of God. Lord, I pray that as we begin this idea, this thought, looking into science and evolution and the Big Bang, creation, Lord, I pray you'd help us to realize that the reason we're studying these things out is because there there are consequences to these things. And that we walk away, when we walk away from God, we're walking away from so much more than just God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for having a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. In your precious name I pray. Amen.